Good morning, good morning. Um, I might be sitting today for the most part. At least I'll be trying to. Um, I have trouble sitting down. Um, even during worship, I don't like sitting during worship as much during music. Um, I had to today because the slope isn't really that great for my ankle. But um, for those of you who might be wondering uh, what happened to me, I fractured my ankle. Um, it's called a, an avulsion flake fracture. And so instead of, this is your science lesson for today, um, instead, of, <laughs> instead of a crack like through the bone, because sometimes a fracture is just a crack through the bone, it's uh, a crack on the surface of the bone. So if you imagine like a hard-boiled egg, uh, and then you crack the eggshell, and you know how the eggshell kind of like sits on top, but it's cracked, um, that's what it is. At least that's what I understand from what I Googled. So, <laughs> uh, so that's, <laughs> that's what I, I've got going on. And if you're wondering how I did it, um, Dale in the back kicked me really hard. Um, no, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. <laughs> he would never do that. Um, no, I was playing volleyball, and, and it's just an unfortunate accident. And uh, I had sprained it, uh, I think, a year and a half ago, two years ago. So uh, it is my weaker ankle. Uh, my right ankle is also weak, but this is the weaker one. And so uh, when I landed wrong, I, I, I fractured and replaced myself. Um, in case you're wondering who this guy is up here at the front, uh, I am Pastor Abraham, the lead pastor here at Sun Valley. And uh, we just want to welcome you to those of you who are just joining us for the very first time or for those of you who are joining us who haven't been here in a while. I want to welcome you to Sun Valley. We believe in growing faith, building community, and in the hope of Jesus. And so today we are continuing on... Um, with our series that we started a while ago. We started it um, over a year and a half, a half, no, 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 over a year and, and, and a few months ago. It's, it's, we started back in September. It's, it's called The Greatest Story, The Unexpected Narrative of Jesus. And this is a series where we get to explore some of the major and minor stories of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. And we un uncover some of the ways that God works in and through humanity to better reveal to us his love. And so we're actually going chronologically from Genesis to Revelation. So um, we are, as we go through these stories, we are finding that uh, God often works in these stories and works in ways contrary to our expectations. And so it's called the unexpected narrative of Jesus. And the way he does so is that the way he contradicts some of the social expectations, historical expectations, cultural expectations, the way he does that paints for us a clearer picture of who God really is. And so um, this week we are starting a new book of the Bible uh, we are starting uh, Second Kings, and so we, we've already gone through First Kings. We've been through Genesis all the way now to First Kings, and, and we've just finished First Kings last week. And so this week we are starting in in Second Kings. This is going to be where our first story takes place. And and for those of you who haven't been with us through this journey, there's there's been a lot of turmoil uh, in the book of First Kings. Uh, David's sons, you'll know at the beginning of Kings. Um, David's sons, they begin to kind of fight amongst themselves. Some of them even murder each other as they kind of vie or, or, or try to gain control of the kingdom. Uh, because at this point in time, uh, it's kind of a little unclear as to who would be king, uh, even though David had told everyone that Solomon would be established as the king after David. And so uh, some of his other sons were unhappy with that, and so they kind of vied for control of power. But eventually Solomon is established as the next king of um, the full nation of Israel. And so Solomon's son then, after his passing, made some foolish decisions and split the entire nation into two. Um, Solomon's son Jeroboam, um, no, Rehoboam, Rehoboam split the nation into two. And uh, this is what we, what we come now to. So anything past uh, 1 Kings, 
Whenever you hear of the nation of Israel, because they talk about Israel a lot, whenever you hear the nation of Israel, it's specifically talking about the northern kingdom. Because uh, after Rehoboam makes some mistakes in dealing um, with the people, the nation gets split in half as, mo- as most of the nation is unhappy with Rehoboam. So the nation to the south, which is the nation of, or the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they form a nation together called the kingdom of Judah. And the nations to the north, which is the remaining ten tribes, form a kingdom called the kingdom of Israel, which Jeroboam takes over. Um, And so as Jeroboam takes over, he kind of introduces uh, a different form of worship. He doesn't want people going down to the south to Judah to worship at Jerusalem. Uh, He's afraid that people are going to join the kingdom of Judah again. So he he establishes his own temples. He establishes his own priests. Uh, He ends up uh, leading people into worshiping the golden calf. Um, And a whole bunch of other things happen with Jeroboam. And so the, the nation of Israel kind of follows this pattern of following other gods, of worshiping gods that aren't Yahweh of worshiping Baal and Asherah and all of these other gods from the surrounding nations. And so uh, in 1 Kings, we find this prophet named Elijah. I'm giving you just a quick recap. Uh, this prophet named Elijah comes and he confronts Ahab and he begins to lead, or Elijah attempts to begin to lead people back to Yahweh because they're not worshiping Yahweh, they're worshiping Baal. Uh, unfortunately, Elijah is not wildly successful. Um, the reason he isn't is because the people are just so ingrained with this worship of Baal that they mix their practices of Yahweh and Baal. And so the reason we know he's not successful is because there are still other prophets who continue after him trying to do the same thing that Elijah was doing. Um, But he anoints another successor uh, under God's direction. And so Elisha uh, takes over the role of Elijah. It's going to get confusing for a bit just for the first portion of this. Uh, But Elisha serves as the prophet called to bring the northern nations of Israel back to Yahweh. And now we're starting our story, 2 Kings. Um, But first, we're going to start in 1 Kings, actually. We're going to go back just a bit. 1 Kings chapter 19, um, just to give you some backdrop on on Elisha. So 1 Kings 19, uh, it should be available on the screen for you there if you don't have your Bibles with with us to follow along. 1 Kings 19, 19 says this. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Uh, He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Uh, So for those of you who might not know, 12 yoke of oxen is quite a bit. That's two pairs. Uh, So that's 24 total oxen. Um, Elisha is a very rich man. That's that's what this text is telling us. Uh, So Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Uh, And and Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my mother and my uh, my father and my mother goodbye, and, and then I will come with you. And go back, Elijah replied, what have I, have I done to you? That last line might not make a lot of sense, but Elijah is really saying, like, it's not me who's calling you, it's Yahweh. So um, you have no, no personal ties with me. Uh, you don't, don't feel obligated to follow me. You're, you're following Yahweh. That's what Elijah is really saying. Uh, so verse 21 says this, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. So Elijah throws his cloak over Elisha. This is the symbol that Elijah is wanting Elisha to be the, the successor, to follow him, right? He's giving him, he's passing on the mantle, right? Um, and so Elisha, what he does is he slaughters his oxen, and he, he kills, or he burns up the, the, the yoke of oxen, all of his plowing equipment, because he's saying, I'm not going back to this. Everything that I had previously, all of my sources of income, I'm not going back. I'm 100% devoted to Yahweh. I'm so devoted that I don't want to leave options for me to come back to. So that's what he does. He kills his oxen. He feeds the people. He burns up his equipment so that he can't go back to being a farmer. 
later on. Uh, Elijah is about to be taken up to God. This is 1 Kings chapter 2 now. So Elijah leaves Elisha's cloak, and then this exchange occurs. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4, it'll be available uh, right there for you as well. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Um, then, then Elijah said to him, stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. 50 men from the company of prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Pause for a second. It's not in my notes, but I want to talk about this for a second. Um, This is a similar miracle to what Moses did. You'll remember that, right? Moses split the Red Sea. Um, Joshua also split the Jordan uh, Jordan River. Uh, So we're, we're setting up this idea that uh, Elijah and Elisha uh, serve a similar purpose as Moses and Joshua, right? It's a similar dynamic and relationship, right? So verse 9, when they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Elisha is using inheritance language. It's this legal language that they use to talk about when someone is dying or someone is passing away and they're leaving an inheritance, a remainder, something that is important, right? So Elisha is essentially asking his mentor, Elijah, to be the primary inheritor of his prophetic estate. Because he says, he says, I know that you're mentoring other people. I know that there are other prophets that might want to follow you. I want to make sure that I am the primary person that follows this career path that you have set for yourself. I want to make sure that I am the one, not for all the glory, not for any of that stuff, but I want to make sure that I am the one that carries the work that you have started, right? He wants to be the main person carrying on the prophetic work in the nation of Israel. So Elisha is given that spirit. We read that a little later on, and he carries on Elijah's work. And And I want to bring this up because this is really important. As we talk about callings, because we talked about this the last couple of weeks, um, we talk about how God places different callings in our lives. And for those of you who haven't been here with us for that part, um, we want to make the distinction to note that a calling doesn't necessarily just mean a career path. You You guys are all familiar. Everybody who's been here knows that, right? A calling isn't just a career path. A calling is a literally a, a, a moment a time, a space, a season, whatever it is that God is calling to you. God might be calling you to kindness towards a specific person in one moment. God might be calling you to generosity in one moment. God might be calling to you different moments in your life. Whatever God's call for you doesn't have to be a career path. It can be every single moment of every day, right? So as we talk about calling, I want to bring special attention to the interaction that takes place because Elisha recognizes the work that Elijah had already begun and plans to continue the work. He's not letting the the battles that Elijah fought for be for nothing. Elisha wants to continue the legacy of calling people back to Yahweh that Elijah had already begun in the nation of Israel. And here's our first lesson for today. Our first lesson is this, carry the legacy. Our first lesson is carry the legacy. When you read the story of Elisha in, in 2 Kings, you'll notice that some of the miracles that Elijah does in 1 Kings are repeated. And the reason that 
it does that is because they want you to know that the same ministry that occurred here is happening over here, that God is blessing and continuing. And Elisha does more. He does so much more than what Elijah had done, at least what we read about. Um, so some of the miracles are repeated because this, this ministry is passed on. Elisha is the successor. He's, he's the new one to continue the legacy that Elijah had been building on. And this past Monday, we celebrated Remembrance Day. We commemorated and we honored the people who came before us and the people who are currently here now fighting for the freedoms that we have today, for the freedoms that we enjoy. These are people who have made an incredible sacrifice to maintain and promote the values of peace and freedom. They are building on the legacy of the people who came before them, right? And so it becomes part of our responsibility now as people who live in this country to continue to fight for those values in whatever way we feel called to, right? There's different ways that we feel called to that. So we promote peace, we promote acceptance, we promote love in our communities. We fight attitudes of, of oppression. We fight attitudes of injustice. We fight attitudes of inequality, right? We carry this patriotic legacy. But you know, it doesn't just end at being citizens of a nation, whatever the case is. We also carry a spiritual legacy, so there are people before us who have wrestled with questions, who have wrestled with doubts to develop a better understanding of who God is. There are people before us who were persecuted and murdered for keeping the same faith we do today. There are people who have worked to alleviate the suffering of the world, who have worked to advance the kingdom of the gospel, all for the sake of Jesus Christ. See, there are a lot of people who have sacrificed much for the sake of the gospel. And so we cannot make light of their sacrifices for the gospel by being indifferent, listen to that, by being indifferent to the call that God places in our lives. You guys following? We cannot squander or waste their sacrifice by being indifferent to the call God places in our lives. We carry the legacy. And you see, God honored Elisha by replicating in his life some of the same miracles that Elijah performs. But God didn't stop there. He continued to work in Elisha's life, and Elisha continued to do great things for the Lord. When we carry the legacy of the people who have gone before us by choosing to answer God's call in every moment to do good in the world, God honors that choice by working through us in powerful ways. Do you guys believe that? I hope so. Because by doing the work that God calls us to, we build on the legacy of those that God worked through before us. Carry the legacy. And so as Elisha carries his mentor's legacy, he comes to this widow in Israel. This is 2 Kings chapter 14. Um, similar miracle that we see in 1 Kings chapter 17. You'll notice the repeat of some of these miracles. 2 Kings chapter 4, just a few verses today. This is our main story for today. First, second Kings chapter 4, sorry. It'll be available on the screen. Verse 1 says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that he revered and loved the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? What can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing here at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. And Elisha said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all of the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. 
She left him and and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all of the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. See, a man who was faithful to Yahweh um, and among the company of prophets had somehow accrued a debt. Uh, We're not entirely sure who this man is, but he passed away. Now he's unable to pay his debt. He doesn't have any income source. His family can't pay the debt. So the creditor comes in and in keeping with the customs of the land was going to take this man's sons as slaves for repayment of the debt. See, the widow was worried because she didn't want to be left without her sons. She didn't want her sons to be sold into slavery, and she didn't want to be left as a widow without sons to potentially care for her. So she calls on this prophet that she knows, Elisha, for help. And after she tells the prophet what's going on, and she tells him, all I have is this small jar of oil. This is, this is it. This is the end for me. And Elijah tells her, gather as many empty jars as you can find. Go so far as to ask your neighbors. Go so far as to ask your friends. Whoever you can borrow from, borrow from them. Grab as many empty jars as you can. And when she does, she does this. She pours out the oil into the jars as Elisha had instructed her. And you'll notice that the oil doesn't stop flowing until every vessel she has is completely filled. She then takes the oil and she sells it and has enough money to repay the debt and and also continue to live off the remaining money. But you'll notice something important that Elisha tells her to do. He says, He says, get as many empty jars as you possibly can. See, Elisha knew the nature of the miracle that was going to take place. Elisha knew what was going to occur. And so he specifically instructs her to gather as many empty vessels as she can. And this is our second lesson for today. Our second lesson is this, empty the vessels. You guys following? Empty the vessels. Why did the widow need to bring empty vessels? Because God couldn't fill a vessel that already had something in it. Did you guys hear that? God couldn't fill a vessel that already had something in it. For God to fully, completely fill these vessels, they needed to be devoid of anything. They needed to be empty of everything else. And as the widow pours out oil from her small flask into these empty jars, into these empty vessels, God's goodness begins to flow in a never-ending stream, filling up every inch of the vessel from the bottom up until it was full to the brim with the blessings that God had provided. But the vessels needed to be empty. You see, we each have different jars, different vessels in our own lives. We have different areas of our lives that we need to fill up. So I've brought a little something just to kind of show you guys, uh, because we might have different areas of our life that we want filled up, different jars, different vessels, right? So we have, maybe we have vessels that contain kind of our career goals, right? Something that we want uh, to happen in our careers, maybe something that we want uh, in our personal lives, right? Our personal uh, lives, maybe relationships, right? That, whether that's uh, platonic relationships or romantic relationships or whether it's a relationship with God, relationship with our family, whatever the case is, right? Uh, and then we also have uh, our finances, right? These are just some examples of different vessels uh, in our lives. And, and, and we can have these different vessels. We have vessels for every part of our life, just absolutely everything, right? So there's some big things, there are some small things. The, the vessels vary in size depending on how much importance you put in them, um, how much effort you pour in, how much time you put in. And as we focus on these different vessels of our lives, 
we begin to long for these vessels to be filled because currently they're empty. There's nothing in them, right? But, but sometimes we don't like the way God operates, right? We don't want to wait on God's timing. We, we demand that things be done our way. So we start to fill our vessels with all kinds of different things, right? We don't wait on God to fill our vessels. We start to fill our vessels with all kinds of different things without God. So we take it upon ourselves to fill our vessels. So we put um, maybe work. There's a career. So we put work over worship sometimes, right? So we fill our vessels with different things. Maybe we put sexual gratification over the healthy relationships that God has called us to. So we pour that into our relationships. Maybe we, maybe we let resentment and anger and disappointment and, and, and frustrations get in the way of, of our family or of our friends or whatever. So we fill that up. Maybe we let comfort, we talked about this a couple of times, maybe we let comfort place itself over calling. We, we, don't, we don't want to answer God's call for our lives because it's uncomfortable. Maybe we just want to be comfortable in our walk with God. We don't want to challenge ourselves. We don't want to push ourselves. So we fill ourselves with all these different things in our lives. Maybe we put greed over generosity. Maybe God is calling us to be generous with our finances, to be generous with the people around us, but we don't want to do that. We want to keep it to ourselves, and so we put greed over generosity. We try filling our vessels with all different kinds of things as we live life. Maybe we fill ourselves, uh, our personal lives with anger. Maybe uh, our career goals come over everything else, and we sacrifice uh, family for career goals, right? Maybe we... Um, don't, I don't, I don't know, whatever the case is, right? There's lots of things that we can fill up our relationships and our personal lives and, and our career goals and, and our finances. And we begin to fill our lives with all these different kinds of things. We let our selfishness and our conformity uh, uh, place itself over love and the gospel. And we try filling our vessels with tons of different stuff. But God wants to fill our vessels. And when God comes along and tries to fill our vessels, if they're not empty, God cannot fully fill the vessel. Are you guys following so far? Do you guys know, this is another science lesson, do you guys know what the principle of displacement is? I think that's what it is. I should have Googled it before I started. Displacement, I think it is. Someone confirmed me. Where's Max? Is it displacement? Yes, thumbs up from the teacher. Okay, displacement. So you know that the density of an object will displace water, right? So the volume of an object will displace an equal amount of volume with water. So as God comes along and begins to pour out into our lives, right? Things look full. I know, I know, I know. We'll try it later, don't worry. Don't worry, he, he, he's unlimited. Um, as God begins to pour out into our lives, things begin to look full, right? I mean, by all intents and purposes, these, these jars of water, they look full. I'm going to do this. But... What happens when we actually begin to remove that stuff? When we remove all the hatred and the negativity and all the other factors that we've placed in, we find out that our jars are not as full as we originally thought they were. 
right? When we begin to take all this junk out of our lives and begin to focus on God and, and focus on God filling and, and, and empty everything else, I don't know if I can put my, my finger in there, we find out that the jars aren't as full as we'd like them to be, right? And, and as we go on through life, we add things to our jar. We try to fill things on our own. But the quality of the things that we fill us with is not the same qualities that God fills us with, right? The properties of the things we fill ourselves with are not the same properties that God fills us with. And so it displaces things. Because as we begin to fill ourselves, God tries to come in and fill us, but he cannot fill us completely because our vessels, our jars, our hearts is full of all this other stuff. It needs to be fully emptied before God can come in and actually pour out a fullness of blessing and fill us with the properties that God intends to fill us with. Very different, right? So this is our lesson, empty the vessels. By valuing God's call in our lives in any, any and every moment, by removing the objects, the emotions, the hatred, the frustrations, whatever else it is in your life that you're filling your vessels with, when you remove those things from yourself, you allow God the most room to fill you. By allowing God to inspire our passions in our relationships, by not allowing the self to conflict with God's plans for our lives, we can experience the fullness of what God has in store for us. You see, I was reading this um, book called The Divine Dance by Richard Rohr, and, and he says this, he says something so interesting that I, I, I love this. He says, faith, faith is not believing in a God we can't see. He says, faith is not believing in a God we can't see. So what is it? He says, faith is believing that God is supremely good, that he is truly love, and that everything he has in store for us is for our ultimate good. Do you guys hear that? Faith is believing that God is supremely good, that he is truly love, and that everything that he has in store for us is for our ultimate good. Having faith isn't just believing that this God exists. Having faith means trusting that God wants to fill us and bring us perfect fulfillment, despite challenges, despite, despite frustrations, despite the pain that we might experience because of the world. Having faith means that we don't have to try to fill ourselves because what God fills us with is infinitely better than what the world has to offer. Empty the vessels. So Elijah, Elisha asked her to bring these empty jars and empty vessels, but just as important as bringing the empty jars was the fact that she had to bring in as many as she possibly could. See, even if it meant going to her neighbors, making herself a little uncomfortable, going to her friends and, and asking to borrow things, God could only fill what she brought before him. God could only fill what she brought before him. So the more jars that she brought, the more jars God would fill. Does that track? Right? The bigger the jars that she brought, the more God would pour out into that jar. So here's our final lesson for today. Our final lesson is this. Let God fill. Let God fill. Because before we present our empty vessels for God to fill, we first need to bring the vessels for him to fill. 
See, to, to let God completely fill the different vessels in our lives, they need to be first emptied of self, yes, but the vessels also have to be present. God cannot fill what we don't bring before him. God cannot fill what we don't bring before him. You see, God is willing to fill every vessel that we have. He is willing to fill up every part of our lives, but he can only fill what we bring before him. Elisha tells the widow, grab as many jars as you possibly can because he knows that the outpouring of God will only stop when there's nothing left to fill. You see, God will fill things up in our lives so long as we make space for him to fill up those areas of our lives. Because sometimes we might be willing to let God fill but we hold back certain areas of our life. We're willing to let God fill in one area of our lives so, so long as it doesn't require me to actually give up anything or change anything or make myself uncomfortable. Where we want God's blessings in every part of our lives so long, it doesn't re- so long as it doesn't require me to actually do anything on my own. See, we're okay with God filling our lives so long as it's on our terms, how we want it, when we want it. But instead of trying to dictate the terms, just let God fill. Bring every part of your life to him. Don't, don't let there be a part of your life that isn't filled with the fullness of God's blessing, but God cannot and will not fill what you are unwilling to let him fill. Yes, follow. Let God fill. I invite the band to come on up as we begin to close. Because as God begins to work in us, as the Holy Spirit begins to move, as we let God fill our lives, we are equipped to carry the legacy of the people who have gone before us. See, the more we are filled with God, the more capacity for God that is created in us. As we work and as God works in our lives, we begin to see the changes not only in ourselves, but also in the world and the community around us as we allow his influences us Uh, as, as we allow him to influence us, he begins to manifest himself in loving actions because there are countless people who have sacrificed much to advance the kingdom of God here on earth. So our call to follow Jesus includes the call to carry the mantle, to carry the legacy of the gospel in our own communities, in our circles, and through our lifetime. And when we are willing to continue the work that God calls for us, that God places before us, of the work of the people before us. God equips us with his spirit to do tremendous things, but it is, it is hard to do good if all we focus on is ourselves. So to be filled by God, we need to empty the vessels and to stop trying to fill ourselves with anything and everything with different qualities and properties. We need to stop putting our self and self-interests first and allow God to be the one who fills us because the more room we make for God, the more he can fill our vessels. Trust that God is supremely good, that he always wants to give you only what is good. So as we empty the vessels of self, we make room for the outpouring of God's goodness in our lives. But, but God cannot fill what we don't bring before him, right? Let God fill. Bring every part of your life before God. Let him be the one to fill the void that is present in your life. Don't hold back parts of your life. Don't try and keep things separate as if God is not interested in your goals and in your passions and in your dreams. Let God be the one to fill those goals, to fill those passions, to fill those dreams with his goodness. You see, the outpouring only stops when there's no more vessels left to fill. 
So as long as long as we keep surrendering to God, God will continue to fill us up. And God's goodness is unlimited. God fills us until our lives are full and at the brim, full of joy in the midst of sadness, full of peace in the midst of turmoil, full of faith in the midst of trials. Let God fill you until you are overflowing with the love of Jesus. Have faith and know that God is good and that whatever he pours into your life will be for good. Amen.